Now I want to spend a little time in First Thessalonians this morning. And I appreciated the announcements this morning. I appreciate that last one especially. That the Lord is coming back. And we're looking for Him to come at any moment. And I hope you're ready. I hope you're prepared for the coming of the Lord. And uh, it's always good to be with your pastor. We love him. Thank the Lord for him and his family. We got to see Lawrence this morning. I didn't get to see Schofield yet. But he's in the nursery. He's wild. They got him chained. Yeah. Oh, we joined the Navy. Okay. I thought maybe they had him chained up back there in the back room. I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, but we look forward to seeing him a little bit later. I want to spend a moment in First Thessalonians. Probably uh, you have studied First Thessalonians. Most likely your pastors preached uh, out of this book. And you have probably noticed that in every chapter, the chapter ends with a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if we're going to stay in First Thessalonians this week. I, I'm, I'm just not sure about that. But I believe it's where the Lord wants us this morning. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the coming of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, there are only 10 verses. Let's just read them. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You scared me just now. I thought you was all leaving. You got up. I almost lost my place in my reading. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now let's pray a moment. Father, we love you because you first loved us. We're thankful for your grace and mercy. We are glad to be assembled together with the saints of God this morning. I pray you'll help us now in the preaching to exalt your name and glorify you. Lord, if you get glory, then we'll be helped. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I mentioned to you that in every one of these chapters here in First Thessalonians, the end of the chapter, Paul will make reference to the second coming of the Lord. This is one of the first, if not, I believe it is, the first epistle that Paul read, or wrote. And he wrote... Re- <laughs> I'm going to talk here in a minute. He wrote it uh, to the church at Thessalonica. It was the, an early church, a young church, and these were young Christians. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage them about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said, well, preacher, the Lord is not coming. It's been a long time. Well, Paul believed he was coming in that day. So Paul apparently believed in the imminent return of Christ. 
that he could come at any moment. You say, what do you believe? I believe in the imminent return of Christ. I believe he could come at any moment. I'm not looking for any signs. I'm not looking for any uh, anything else to happen. I believe the next event on God's calendar is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, when will he come? Well, the Bible said he'll not tarry. Yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. So he's not tarrying his coming. He'll come according to his purpose and according to his timing. So it's my job not to figure out when. It's my job to be ready whenever he comes. I want to talk about the coming of the Lord. I was thinking about what the Bible says in these five chapters. And uh, because the Lord is coming, he'll mention it, Paul does, every chapter. There, there are some things that we better get straight right now before he comes. And I'll put it to you this way. I'll mention them to you. Since the Lord is coming soon, there's no time for acting. There's no time to act and be artificial. you better be real. And then there's no time for anger. There's no time for attrition. There's no time for anguish. And there's no time for apathy. And those will fit in every one of those chapters. But I want to talk to you, first of all, this morning, I want to talk to you about acting or about being artificial. Paul says this in verses 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Now watch this. And how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Now Paul tells us three things that ought to characterize the life of every Christian. The first thing he tells us is about our waking. So preacher, what do you mean our waking? Well, look what he said. How ye turned to God from idols. You know what happened one day? The Holy Ghost woke you up. You were asleep in sin. You were walking along, just going along, minding your own business, and somebody preached the gospel. Maybe you heard it down at the church. Maybe you read it in a tract. Maybe somebody witnessed to you, and the Holy Ghost of God brought you under conviction. You say, well, I was searching for Jesus. Well, that's not what the Bible said. There's none that seeketh after God. You might have been looking for something, but you didn't know what it was you was looking for. But the Holy Ghost showed you that you needed Christ. And when he showed you that you needed Christ, if you've been born again, here's what you did. Exactly what Paul said. You turned to God from your idols. Now, I like the way the Bible says this. Turn to God from idols. There are three things I would think about this. First of all, Paul tells us that when you get saved, there is a turning. We call it repentance. In the Old Testament, God would preach to Israel through the prophets, and here's what he'd say. Turn ye, turn ye, my people. Why will ye die? So apparently, if you don't turn, you're going to die. Apparently, if you don't turn, you don't get right with God. You say, preacher, what is repentance anyway? Well, I've heard a lot of definitions. I've heard it saying to God, you're right and I'm wrong. I've heard that it's taking God's side against your side. I like both of those. But really, here's what repentance is. You were headed this way. Now you're headed that way. You were headed this way. Now you turned around. You're headed that way. You used to live this way. Now you're living that way. You used to live for self and you used to live for sin. Now you're living for God. A turning. The Bible talks about over there in Corinthians about wickedness. It talks about uh, revilers and drunks and fornicators and adulterers and effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind. And Paul said, you're not, don't be deceived. He said, if that's what you are, you're not in 
inherit the kingdom of heaven. But then he said this, and such were some of you, but now you're washed, now you're justified, you're sanctified. You know what happened? You was headed this way in your sin, and the Holy Ghost said to you, I don't know what words he used, but in your heart, he told you he was lost and going to hell, but there was a hope for you, and that hope was in Jesus, and you turned to God from your idols. So you turned. But not only did he say turned, he said you turned to. You turned to. What did you turn to? Well, I didn't turn to religion. I didn't turn to the Baptists. Are you listening now? I didn't turn to the baptismal pool. I didn't even turn to the church. Here's what I did. I turned to God. The Holy Ghost pointed me to Jesus. Can I tell you something about the devil? The devil likes to tell you how sorry you are and leave you down there wallowing in that mire. The Holy Ghost will tell you how sorry you are and then he'll say that there's an answer for all your sorriness and that answer is Jesus. He'll never leave you wallowing in the mire. He'll point you toward the cross and say there's your answer. So here's what I did. I turned, I turned to God. I just didn't reform. I got regenerated. Is that what happened to you? And then he said this, I turn to God, you turn to God from your idols. If you turn to something, you're automatically going to turn away from something. So how can I turn to God and still hold on to my sin? Are you listening now? The Bible said, Paul said in Romans chapter 6, I believe it is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you've turned to God, then you must have turned away from your sin. You say, oh, preach, I'm just the way I've always been. Then you are what you always were. You're going to have to turn to God, and when you turn to God, you'll turn, repent, turn away from sin. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul said there was a man, he was in the church, and he was involved in wickedness, ungodliness. He, uh, Paul said such fornications not so much as named among the Gentiles that a man should have his father's wife. It was wicked immorality. And Paul said to that church, you are puffed up. He said, you should have mourned. But he said, you're puffed up. You haven't done anything about it. So he said, here's what I've done about it. He said, I'm absent. I'm not with you. But he said, here's what I've done. I've delivered such an one up unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved. Paul said, he's living in wickedness. There will be judgment to come. Hey, can I just stop and say this? Here's what Paul, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Somebody, some people don't believe that. I wouldn't fuss with you about it. When you get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right. But anyway... We'll ask him. But here's what he said. He said, if you endure not chase chastisement, chastening, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Whom the Lord loveth, he chaseth every son. So if you can go on in sin and never get chastened, you never got saved. So here Paul said, this man's in the church. He's committed this wicked sin. Paul said, I've delivered him up unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Well, here's what happened. That man got right with God. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to them, and he said, I made you sorry, but I'm glad sorry you sorrowed after a godly sort. He said, I made you sorry, but I'm not sorry about it. You sorrowed after a godly sort. And then here's what he said. He said, for godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. What's the sorrow of the world? I'm sorry I got caught. That's godly sorrow. I'm sorry that I've been a sinner and offended God. I'm sorry and I want God to change me. Have you had godly sorrow? Did you sorrow after a godly sword? So Paul says to us, he said, he said, you woke up. Now, if you go back to chapter, or verse number three, Paul gives us a little outline of this passage. He said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. 
So we could call this their working. What was it? It was the work of faith. What was the work of faith? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they believed on Him, they turned to God from whatever idol they had. Have you ever turned? You say, well, preacher, I joined the church. I didn't ask you that. You say, well, I got baptized. I didn't ask you that. So well, I turned over a new leaf. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, have you ever turned? Have you been born again? Have you ever come before God as a lost sinner, deserving of hell, took your place as a lost sinner, and then trusted Him as the Savior, your only hope of heaven? You said, Preacher, I've never done that. Well, i got good news for you. You can take care of that this morning. The other night I was preaching and uh, on at Sheriff On. Some of you have listened to Sheriff On down in Pisgah Forest on Friday. Uh, let me see, was it? No, it was Sunday night. The last Sunday night, got them preaching and I walked back to the back. I was trying to find the preacher. I said, where's the pastor? I want to talk to the pastor a minute. They said, he's in that little room over there. I said, what's he doing there? I said, he's dealing with a young fella. A little boy. I think he was 11. He's either 11 or 13. I think he was 11. He came, his name was Tyler. And he came to the preacher and he said, I've never done what the preacher said. I've never been saved. I've never been born again. I want to get saved. So we sat him down in that room, took him to the gospel, asked him a few questions. He asked the Lord Jesus to save him. He got born again. You said, preacher, can an 11-year-old do it? Yeah, and a 100-year-old can do it. And anywhere in between, anybody who recognized they're a sinner and turned to God from their idols can get their sins washed away. You can be right with God and fit for heaven. Have you ever turned? It's time to wake up. I want you to see a second thing Paul said here. He said how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God, the living and true God. Now, here is their labor of love. If we call the other their work of faith, here's their labor of love. They're serving God. Now, I didn't get saved by serving. I got saved by believing, repentance and faith. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So I didn't, say, I didn't serve to get saved, but now that I'm saved, I'm supposed to serve. Good works don't come first, they come after. You get born again, then you're supposed to live for God. He said, Preacher, why would I, why would I live for God? Because we love Him. It's a labor of love. So I say, all oh, you Christians, you have to. No, we want to. Uh, we like to. Uh, amen. You know what? I want to serve Him not so He'll love me. I want to serve Him because He loves me. I want to serve Him not so He'll say thank you. I want to serve Him to say thank you for what He's done. Let me tell you about love. Love will make you do strange things, won't it? I was at home. I don't have a motor home anymore. The Lord delivered me from my motor home. But I was at home one time a few years ago and I was laying underneath the motor home working because if you have a, an RV, a motor home, that's what you do on your downtime. You lay underneath it and work on it. And I'm not mechanical, but I, I can turn a wrench and I had this tailpipe kept falling off and coming loose and I was trying to get it fixed where it wouldn't come loose. And I'm laying under there and my phone goes off and I look over at this at the phone, it's a text for a young man. I knew him. I knew who he was. I knew he was out of the will of God. He said, I'm in a mess. Pray for me. I already knew he was in a mess. I prayed for him. I texted him back. He called me. He said, are you home? I said, I'm home. He said, will you meet me at the church? I said, I'll meet you at the church. So I met him at the church. He came down. He got down on the altar, called on the Lord. Uh, he said he got his heart right with God. And uh, so then, here's what happened. That he, Because he'd been involved in immorality, his wife had left him. They were divorced. So he calls me one day. He said, Brother McBride, would you like to buy a 22 pistol? 
I said, well, I might. How much you want? And I can't remember the exact, but it was something like $132.28. And I thought, that's an odd number. You know, you're going to sell a pistol, it's 100 bucks, 150 or 200 bucks, or something like that. I think it was $132.28, something like that. I said, well, well, what, what, why do you want to sell your pistol? He said, well, you know, I'm trying to get back together with my wife. He didn't care nothing about her when he's lost, but now he said he got his heart right. He wants to get back together with her. And so I said, okay, but I didn't know what that had to do with the pistol. And I didn't know if he's going to, well, he's going to sell us. So he's not going to force him. But anyway, so I said to him, what's that got to do with the pistol? He said, well, my wife, when we were courting, always said that she wanted to be swept off her feet by a knight in shining armor. I said, okay. He said, I found a suit of armor. I said, let me guess. It costs $132.28. He said, that's right. I said, what are you going to do with it? He said, I'm going to buy the suit of armor. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to get a dozen roses. You ain't heard the best part yet. And I'm going to go down to the bank where she works and walk in in that suit of armor and get her those roses and and woo her. And I thought, you're going to federal prison. That's where you're going. You walk in that bank in that suit of armor, you go to jail or get shot. You say, preacher, that's crazy. You know why you think that's crazy? You're not in love with his wife. I thought it was crazy too. Because I'm not in love with his wife. But if I had been in love with his wife, I might not have thought it's so crazy. You say, did he do it? I don't know. I never found out, but they are back together. And he's not in prison. Somebody said, preacher, I don't know why you Christians do what you do. It's crazy. No, it's love. We're in love with somebody. We're in love with the Lord Jesus. And we're in love with him. And so what we do, we do it because we love. You see, you're going to serve somebody in your life. Years ago, I was watching. Some of you know who Bob Dylan is. Uh, some of you young folks don't know who he is probably, but some of us older gray-headed and, and, and no-haired people know who, who Bob Dylan is. And, and years ago, I don't know what happened to him, but he was supposed to have had some religious experience. I don't know if he got right with God. I don't know all that. I just know for a while he started talking about God. And one night on a Saturday night, I was watching a program. I wouldn't name the program. I was lost. It's a wicked, ungodly program. But I was watching, sitting there watching the program, and they had Bob Dylan on. And Bob Dylan got up, and he sang a song. I'd heard him sing songs before, folk songs, you know, old stuff like that. And uh, But he sang a song that night, and the title of it was, you got to serve somebody. And as he sang along, it went like this. you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord. But you gotta serve somebody. Now I don't know if Bob Dylan knows God, but I tell you I got under Holy Ghost conviction because I thought I was serving myself. But nobody serves themselves. You say, well preach, I, I must take care of myself. I'm gonna do what I want to do. Nobody does what they want to do. You're either gonna do what the Lord wants, you're gonna do what the devil wants. Jesus said to that crowd in John chapter 8, they were religious, but they were unsaved. They had no faith. They wouldn't trust God. They were not. Jesus said, you're not the children of Abraham. If you were, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the deeds that Abraham did. But he said to them, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. I was in Ortonville, Michigan one day. I was preaching in a tent meeting. 
And, and every night we did something unusual after the tent meeting. One night we had roasting ears. One night we had uh, Cajun food, jambalaya, red beans and rice. And then one night they had the dairy wagon come over from Cook's Dairy Farm and they brought over the dairy wagon and all of us got a free ice cream cone. So after the tent meeting, I'm, I'm over there in line. I get me a triple dip butter pecan, not a single dip, not a double dip, a triple dip butter pecan ice cream cone. You talk about good, it'd make a tadpole slap a whale. I, so I'm walking back, I'm walking back toward the tent, licking on my ice cream cone, and this fella's leaning against this white band, and he, he's leaning like this, and he's got a cigarette in this hand, and he's got an ice cream cone in this hand, and as I walk by, he said, hey, you! And I stopped, I said, me? He said, yeah, you! I said, yes, sir. He said, you go to church here? I said, no, sir. I'm one of the preachers preaching in the tent meeting. I said, were you in the tent meeting? He said, no, I wasn't in the tent meeting. But he had an ice cream cone. I said, well, what you doing here? He said, I, I drove my van in the ditch, went in the ditch across the street, and I got it out of the ditch, and I drove it up under this light and so that I could tell if there was any damage. He said, there wasn't any damage. And I saw everybody getting in line for an ice cream cone, so I got in line and got one. So I said, you weren't in the meeting. He said, no. So I started talking to him about Jesus. And I wasn't getting anywhere. And finally, I said to him, I tell you what, why don't you come to the meeting tomorrow? Come, we're going to sing, we're going to preach, we'll do something special afterwards. Why don't you come to the meeting? He looked over at that tent, he said, I'm not going in that tent. I said, yeah, you come, you might enjoy it. He said, I'm afraid of that tent. I thought maybe he was claustrophobic or something. I said, afraid of the tent. Here's what he said. He said, I got some buddies at work. They went to a tent meeting and something happened to them. He said, they don't talk like they used to talk. They don't tell the jokes they used to tell. They don't live like they used to live. And then he said this. Now listen, here's what he said. He said, I don't want something running my life like that. But wait a minute. The whole time I talked to him, he had a cigarette in his hand. He, If it went out, he'd put his ice cream cone down and he'd light him up another. I found out the reason he went in the ditch is because he's been drinking. And I found out his wife was in rehab trying to kick a drug habit. And so I'm standing there thinking to myself, you you don't want God running your life. But you let a weed run your life and a needle run your life and a bottle run your life. But you look at me this morning, somebody's going to run your life. Somebody or something. You're going to have to serve somebody or something. And let me tell you something about the devil. He's a liar and always has been. He's a hard taskmaster. Jesus said this about him. He said, the thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And you know what? You know what Paul called God in, in 1st Corinthians or maybe 2nd Corinthians? He called him the Father of mercies. You know what I did when I got saved? I traded masters. I traded in the Father of lies and God the Father of mercies. Are you listening now? I traded in hell for heaven. I traded in horror for holiness. Are you listen? I got a brand new master and he's a good master and he loves me and it's a pleasure to serve him. He's good to me. He's good to me. You're going to serve somebody and it's your choice this morning. So there's the labor of love. We'll call it this way. The work of faith, the labor of love. And then Paul will mention lastly. Now watch verse 10. I like this verse here. Watch this. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. This is the patience of hope. This is their waiting. Can I ask you a question? 
What you waiting for? I've got grandchildren. I try to mention them every time I preach. Have two boys. Jedediah is six and Joshua is two. Jedediah is like a cool breeze on a warm summer day and Joshua is like a tornado. And I love them. We were at the Sherathon the other day. It's like a telethon. They're raising money so they'd have people sing and play instruments and then in between people call and and the announcers on the desk would, would say, well, we want to read this pledge, so and so. So I'm standing there with Josh and the announcer on the desk apparently talked too long. And the little two-year-old grandson looked up and he said, guitar, Papa, guitar. He wanted to hear the guitar. He didn't want to hear any talking. But I, I talk about him. But you know what? But my son-in-law pastors a church in West Virginia. We live in Indiana. It's about six, six hours, six and a half hours. We go by whenever we can to see him but we don't get to see him as much as I'd like to see him. And always, because of certain things that go on around Christmas, all the things, that, especially in the church that go on, it's hard for them to come up and visit us at Christmas. So we have Christmas with them on Thanksgiving. So what they'll do is on Wednesday night after church, they'll get in the car and they'll head up our place and get up there sometime early Thursday morning. Or is it two Wednesday morning? They leave Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. They have their Tuesday night service before Thanksgiving. So all Tuesday night, they're driving to get up there Wednesday morning. Then they spend Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, have to leave Saturday. So you say, preacher, what do you do on Wednesday night? I wait up. I don't go to bed. No, I, I don't I don't uh, take a nap. I wait up. Say, so what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for them grandbabies. I'm waiting for that white town and country van to come off of 45 and pull into my driveway and pull up to the house. I'm waiting and I'm watching. You know this word wait, the word that's used for wait here, it's the only time it's ever used in the Bible. And this is what it means. It means to wait up. To wait up. It means there's something coming that's so wonderful. Somebody coming that's so wonderful that you just can't go to sleep on it. You just have to wait up for it. Can I tell you, there's somebody coming who is, you know what, I, he's better than grandkids. <laughs> there's somebody coming. And some are falling asleep. Paul said it's high time to awake to righteousness. They keep talking about being woke. The church needs to be woke, but not to this wokeness, but to the fact that Jesus is coming back. And He's coming soon and we're all be waiting up for Him. So preacher, how do I know? How do I know if I'm waiting up for Him? You know, if you're waiting up for Him, you know how I know I'm waiting up for those boys? I'm watching everything. I'm making sure everything in its place. I'm making sure everything's prepared for them so that there won't be anything out of place when they come. And that's the way with the boys, we get things set up where they can play, move things out of Josh's week so they won't get broke. we got everything, everything laid out. That's what it ought to be in our life. We ought to have everything laid out for Him, waiting for Him to come. You know, Jesus talked in, Jesus talked to us in the Bible, I believe through the Apostle John about, about being ready for the return of the Lord. I wrote the verse down where he said, uh, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now you and I read that and we have a hard time with that, but in, in the days of Jesus and John, they didn't have any trouble understanding. Because what John was talking about was in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, when they rebuilt the temple, and there were enemies that were coming, and they had to, at the evening time, at night time, they had to set guards around the temple. So the priests, would, certain priests would be scheduled, it would be their lot to spend time guarding, and they'd be at certain posts around the temple. 
But it's a long night and people get tired. And so what would happen is sometimes maybe a priest would get a little tired. He'd take off his outer garment and he'd roll it up and make a pillow out of it and, and lay down, put his head on that rolled up garment and go to sleep. What, he, what he'd forgotten was that the high priest was going to show up unexpectedly. He wouldn't tell him when. He'd just show up to see if they were at their post. And if he found one of those boys... And, and he was laying down there with his robe rolled up and his head on the robe. He'd set the robe on fire. Now, I was reading, several fellas talked about this. None of them ever told me if he let him get up first before he set it on fire. I don't know. But he set that robe on fire and it would burn up. And that priest would get up. He's still cold. He just doesn't have his outer garment. And so anybody that would see him would know that he'd fallen asleep on the job. And he'd be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed when Jesus comes. I don't want to fall asleep. John said, my little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You say, preacher, when he's coming, I don't know when he's coming. I just know he's coming. And you and I ought to be waiting up for him. You and I ought to be watching. What if he came now? Is everything in place? Is everything in order? Someone said, well, I hear the trumpet. I got to get this straightened out before I see Jesus. No, there's no time for that. Or to be waiting up. Are you right? I wouldn't want to see him and think, you know, I wish I'd have called so and so and got that straightened out. I wish I'd have got this out of my house. I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have said no to that. I wish I hadn't had that attitude. I want to be right. You say, preacher, can you be perfect? No, but I can be right. I can be right. I can keep short accounts with God. I can be right. I can't be perfect. But when I know I've done wrong, I can confess and get right with God. Why? Because he's coming soon. What are you waiting up for? You know, you can tell what you're waiting for by what you're doing while you're waiting. So what are you waiting for? Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. So let me ask you this question. Maybe I'll ask you a couple. Have you turned? Has there ever been a turning in your life? Turn to God from your idol. Have you turned? And are you serving him along the way? Serving him because you love him. It's a love, it's a love relationship. We love him because he first loved us. I, I love the book of Ruth. And when you go through the book of Ruth, you find Ruth doing all of these things in the book. But every one of those things she does in response to what Boaz has done for her or said to her. It's all a response, a love relationship. And then what are you waiting for? Are you ready? Are you ready? I look over at my wife. We've got the house all. I say, are we ready? Are we ready for the grandkids? Are we ready? Are you ready? You ready to see him? You ready to stand before him? You know what will happen when the Lord comes? You and I will go to the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll give an account of the deeds done in the body. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. The Lord's coming. I don't know when. I just know He is. He's coming. He's coming. He could come at any time. He could come at any moment. The Lord's coming. I want to know if you're ready. How many this morning say, Preacher, I could tell you a time in my life when I stood before Him as a sinner. I took my place as a guilty sinner. 
And I believed on him as the Savior. I have a Bible reason to be able to say to you, I'm going to heaven when I die. I turn to God for my idol. I remember. You may not remember the exact time on the clock or even the exact day, but you remember there's a time. And you could say to me, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to say so. I'm going to lift the hand and say, preacher, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. If the Lord came back, I'm going with him. I'm saved and anointed. Can you lift your hands as a testimony? I'm saved and anointed. Saved and anointed. Thank you. Put your hands down. But there'd be somebody this morning who said, preacher, I couldn't raise my hands. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if the Lord came that I'd go with him. Would you remember me when you pray? I'd like to pray for you. You lift your hand, I'll see it. I won't, I won't trick you in any way. I've got no interest in that. But I'd like to pray. Say, would you pray for me, preacher? I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm ready to meet the Lord. I'm not saved. Please pray for me. Anybody like that? I'm looking around me. Now I'm going to ask you this question. Because this is revival meeting. There'd be somebody today say, preacher, I'm saved and I know it. But there's something in my life right now I wouldn't want to meet the Lord with. I wouldn't want to meet him with it. I wouldn't want to have to explain this to him. I'm ashamed to think that it's in my life. I don't want to meet Jesus with it. I need to get it right today. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. But i tell you what you could do this morning. You come get on your knees at an altar. You say, preacher, I don't know how to fix it. No, I know you don't, but he does. And if you'll bring it to him, he'll help you. I remember where a man in the Bible who was a very wicked man cried out to the Lord. And the Bible said, God said to them around him, see how Ahab humbleth himself before me. He recognized that humbling. And he did something for that man. God will do something for you if you just tell him the truth. Broken a contrite heart. Broken heart, a contrite spirit, he'll not despise. So if you got something between you and him, you don't want to meet him with Won't you come to an altar this morning on your knees and get it straight? Father, help us now. I think, Lord, I did not see every hand go up. So there are some folks that are, they don't know if they're saved. They don't know if heaven's their home. I pray they'd get that settled today. And then, Lord, there are some, no doubt, have things they don't want to meet you with. I pray they'd come get it taken care of. You said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what John said. So I pray folk will come and get things right. Maybe with one another. Maybe with you. Maybe just in their heart. I pray things will be right. And we say like John. Even so. Come quickly Lord Jesus. Help us now in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand up.